Hi, and live from the Mecca of Mormonism, Salt Lake City, Utah, this is Heart of the Matter. I'm Sean McCraney, your host. Listen, I want to express my gratitude uh, for our management and staff and crew and volunteers, uh, the relentless dedication throughout this year for the show, answering phones, uh, doing the cameras, sending things out, building technological empires. Uh, I love you guys. It's a great blessing, and I thank you for it publicly. We have some in-house guests tonight. I want to welcome them. We have Denny G. We have Gabrielle and Colleen. We have Luana. We have Kyle, Cy, Michelle, and Jade. Shout out to Lisa and Larry at home. Great to have all you guys around. God bless you. All right, I got to make a correction. Last week, someone called and said, what's going on with Psalm 82? And they asked me, what, what did it mean when it reads, I have said ye are gods, lowercase g, and all of you are children of the Most High. For some reason, this started plaguing me a little bit, and so I looked it up, did some research, and uh, I made the statement that the lowercase g in God, or gods, was not translated from the Hebrew, uh, from the word Elohim, and I was wrong. It is translated in Hebrew as Elohim. But this is where I was right, okay, to make the understanding. The LDS version of the word Elohim and what it means is what is wrong. The word Elohim used in the Hebrew is used to denote both God, gods, or earthly judges. And that's how it is used in that sense. That lowercase g God is an earthly judge. Let me give you a reference. Those scholars out there who want to check my language, go to Exodus 21.6 and you will find it says... Then his master shall bring him unto the judges. He shall also bring him to the door or unto the doorpost. When it says, then his master shall bring him to the judges, it's then his master shall bring him unto Elohim, which is talking about an earthly judge. So uh, I made a mistake in that way. It wasn't 100% faulty, but apologies. Don't trust me. Don't trust any man. Do your own homework, study, and learn all that you can. On my flight today, we get questions often, actually comments, criticizing the fact that I refer to the LDS as Mormons. On my flight today, in fact, this is the napkin I wrote this on. This is Jet Blue. Maybe we can get some advertising from them. Anyway, uh, on that flight, they ran an ad for a movie called Mr. Kruger's Christmas, where Mr. Kruger, uh, Jimmy Stewart, leads the Mormon Tabernacle Choir. This was an ad from the LDS church to get people to uh, ask for this movie, and they'll send it to them. The ad says at the end of the commercial, go to www.mormon.whatever, and says to do it. So the LDS Church uses the name in their title in, uh, for their website, and then it says, or go talk to your Mormon neighbor. So if you're LDS and you're going to criticize me for using the word Mormon, you need to look at your own church because they use that word today on JetBlue, uh, uh, as a reference to the title of their name. All right, so let's put that one behind us and open up the email for something more important. Okay, let's have a prayer. Dear Lord, we uh, thank you for this time. We pray for your spirit to be with us. Help me to speak clearly according to your will. Let our callers uh, have good points and let's discuss you and you alone in Jesus' name, amen. If you are LDS, I want you to understand that I am very well aware that you believe in Jesus Christ. 
I know that you believe that he is the Son of God, that he suffered for the sins of the world, and I know you believe that he was resurrected and overcame the grave. I know you believe those things, if not with your whole heart, you have an intellectual assess, uh, ass, uh, assessment of that concept, of those concepts. Having been deeply involved in the LDS Church, I am also very well aware of the fact that his name is in the title of your church. So you don't have to send me emails telling me that his name is in the title of the church. I know that very well. I get emails that give me a mantra like re repetition that says, quote, we are Christian, we believe in Jesus Christ, you are so uninformed, I can't believe you are even LDS, amongst other things, you're the devil, all these uh, others. And I thought I would take this show to try to explain this issue a little bit more clearly. I want you to imagine for a minute that you are holding up some sugar in a glass, all right? Some beautifully pure sugar, okay? And um, this sugar, it represents the grace found in the absolute finished works of Jesus Christ. This sugar is the grace that comes from the absolute finished work of Jesus Christ, okay? Now, you take your finger and you put it in the sugar and you taste it and it is powerful, it's sweet, it is overwhelming, it's concentrated. Why is it this way? Because it hasn't been diluted whatsoever. Now imagine that you take a little bit of water, okay, I'm doing a little Mr. Wizard here, and you pour that in there to make the, the sugar a little bit better in your mouth. It's not so dry and grainy. You mix it up and you've got a nice liquid mixture of sugar. And so you think, well, you know, that's, that's, that's helped the sugar now. It's helped. And uh, it's still powerful, but in the end you have diluted that pure sugar with the water. You've diluted it to some extent. Now, I know that's going to be very powerful still, but you've diluted that sugar, and it's not the pure thing anymore. And if I take a little sip of it, it won't be as sweet as if I take it straight from the sugar itself, okay? It's not full of the same power that it originally had. Now, let's suppose that you take a whole pitcher of water and some lemons, and you pour it into the sugar, okay? because you want to spread it around and give it to more people. And so you add some flavoring to it too, and you think that's going to make it better. That's going to make it more appealing. But remember, the sugar represents the grace found through the finished work of Jesus Christ. The sugar does not represent a drink here. It represents the grace. And when you add lemons and water to it, yeah, it might, it might seem like it's a better idea, but it is not the same pure thing. Okay, now let's take it a, a little bit further. Let's say that you take this, this mixture and you pour it in a five-gallon jug of water, all right? Five gallons with that sugar. You're still going to be able to taste it. In fact, you could say, the sugar is in our water. The sugar is in our water. We can taste it. See, and you taste it and it's really weak. But yes, it's there, even, even if you can't taste it. Now let's say you take this mixture and you pour it into a backyard swimming pool. All right, how long will it take before you can't taste this at all? Is it still in there? Is the same amount of sugar still? Yeah. Can you say there's sugar in the water? You certainly can. But does it have any of the same effect as tasting it, the pure thing? Now what if you take it and you pour it into the ocean? 
the Pacific Ocean. How long does it take before it goes away then? Now, can someone say the ocean is part sugar? Sure. And you can't deny it. It might even be in the title. There might be a place in this world called the sugar ocean. I don't know. But it's not going to be the pure form. You're getting the point of this long, drawn-out example. I'm giving it long and drawn-out so you can understand the difference of what I am talking about. When we speak of Jesus, or we must remember that Muslims believe in Jesus, and Muslims recognize Jesus, okay? Jehovah's Witnesses, Branch Davidians, even demons believe in Jesus. They recognize Jesus as what he is, all right? They even use his name in their worship. Go to any of those and they recognize his name. Here is the thing. The question is not, do you believe in Jesus or are his teachings in your church or do you recognize him as the Savior? That is not, those are not the questions. The question is, how deluded is your faith in the grace and finished work of Jesus Christ? How deluded has it become because of your personal beliefs or your, the religion that you embrace? Have you added a teaspoon to his, to his pure grace? Have you added a bottle of water, five gallons, backyard pool, ocean? How deluded has it become? If believing in the historical Jesus is enough, then everyone but the Jesus was never a real person people will be saved. Okay? While it's a very generous thought, it's not biblical whatsoever. If mentioning Jesus in the body of your theology is enough, then Jehovah's Witnesses, Islam, Buddhism could be considered Christian because they mention him as a great prophet and leader. Mention his name, all right? Believing in Jesus, mentioning Jesus, recognizing Jesus is not the same as worshiping and knowing him as your Savior. There's a difference between the Savior and my Savior. And it sounds like, well, semantics, but it's not. I always hear LDS talk about the Savior, a title applied to him for the thing that he did for the people on the earth. But when I see someone who's been broken by their sin in this life, they refer to him as my savior. That personal application is a big difference. Undiluted grace manifests itself in spiritual rebirth in the hearts of people. Diluted grace manifests itself through religion. Okay? Deluded faith in Jesus will not ever save anyone. Deluded faith is, in fact, a tremendous deceptor a counterfeit that merely gives people the false notion that they know him, but in reality, they don't. Matthew 7, 21 says, Not everyone that says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. Many will say to me that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in that name, and in thy name uh, have cast out devils, and in thy name done many wonderful works, and then I will profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. The more you embrace the grace of Jesus Christ, the more you will walk by faith through him. The less deluded that your faith is in him, the more you, faith you will have in him. And I hope I'm getting that concept across. And remember, you can't please God without faith. The scriptures tell us, Hebrews 11.6, what does it say? Without faith, it is impossible to please God. Impossible. 
So you, it's only faith that's going to please him. And that's that faith that's in your heart that he can see, not outward manifestations that appear to be faith generated. All right. Let's go back for a moment and take a look at the historical attempts that there have been to dilute the grace that comes through the finished work of Jesus Christ. In the fourth century, there was a guy and his name was, he was a British monk and his name was Pelagius. Okay. And Pelagius grew very tired and impatient with a man named Augustine. Augustine was constantly preaching grace, 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 just like the apostles did, grace. Now, Augustine had some other things that were a little different. But when it came to grace, Augustine was right on. Well, Pelagius, this British monk, said, I'm sick of this grace thing. And uh, so he, in order to show that Augustine was wrong, Pelagius reintroduced to the world the very natural and humanistic idea that human beings achieve salvation by their own efforts. That's called Pelagianism, all right? And Pelagius said, by your own efforts and works, you're going to save yourself, not by this grace thing that Augustine talks about. And I say that he reintroduced this concept because it was nothing new to Christianity. When Jesus was on the earth, there were people called Pharisees. They were under the same deluded concept that by their righteousness, they were going to be saved themselves. They were going to save themselves by what they did and what they were. And these legalists, these creeping moral views, they had these moral views that were creeping out to everybody. And they believed by their moral stance, they are going to be so right before God. And uh, Jesus, man, he said they're full of dead, dried bones. That's, how, that's what he referred to them as. He despised this thinking and was not reticent in pointing out the inability of people to reach God by virtue of their own righteousness. He pointed out clearly that nobody could do it. Now, interestingly enough, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said to the people, now listen to this, this is very important. Jesus says, I say unto you that except your righteousness shall exceed the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees, ye shall in no case enter the kingdom of heaven. So on one hand, Jesus says, listen, you are not righteous of your, on your own, Pharisees. You are not. You're full of dead, dried bones. But then he looks to the people and he tells them, hey, if you're not more righteous than the Pharisees, you're never going to make it to heaven. Now, how, what does that mean? The Pharisees were very righteous living people. Outwardly, they lived almost like a, perfectly religious, a perfect religious life. And so when Jesus said this, it blew people's minds. They couldn't believe that this was the standard that they had to follow. When the rich young ruler came to Jesus and, sa and Jesus said, do you follow the commandments? Yes, do you do this? Yes, yes, yes. He said he did yes to everything, but he said he couldn't give up his riches. And Jesus turned around when he left and he said, hey, this guy, he's not going to go to heaven. And his disciples were blown away. And you know what they said? They said, who then can be saved? Who can be saved if the Pharisees can't be saved with their righteousness and if rich guys who do everything right can't be saved, who can be saved? And what did Jesus say? He said, with man it is impossible, but with God all things are possible. With man's works it is impossible, but by the God's grace based on our faith in his son, all things are possible. Now, Paul, he faced an early attempt to dilute the grace of Christ too. And this came by the Jews. They're called Judaizers. And they became Christians 
But they were Jews too. And they started saying, like we talked about last week, this is a little bit too easy, too hard. This grace thing, I don't like it. I want to go back and obey all these rules that we had as Jews. It makes me feel better. makes me feel more righteous. And so the book of Hebrews was written to address all these Jews who were Christians saying, man, I'm not sure about this believing in God bit to save me. i got to believe in myself. And so Paul had to fight the Judaizers who were trying to dilute the grace of God that came through Jesus' atonement and Jesus' sacrifice and nothing that we could do. So back to this guy named Pelagius in the 4th century. His heresy emphasized that sin occurred from the will of man rather than from inborn sinfulness that came from Adam. That human beings became sinful because they, didn't fo- because they followed Adam and they uh, could overcome their sinfulness by following Jesus' example. Does that sound familiar to you? There was no original sin to Pelagius. Uh, what there was with man would not be punished for Adam's transgressions. Everything was by choice. And as a result, the need for spiritual rebirth became a response to individual sins. What happened was, is the church started saying, you have to look at each one of your individual sins and atone for those. If you look on that woman with lust, go back to the church and atone for it and pay for it. If you, uh, if you steal something, you got to go back to the church and get your absolution. It was all this individual sin stuff that Pelagianism started in the church. And so the church became the kind of the warehouse for sin. And you'd have to go back to that thing in order for them to clear it up with God. That has never been the case with, with God since Christ, since grace. Pelagianism, uh, it inflamed the 4th and the 5th centuries. And it was the crux of the battle that Martin Luther took against the church. Martin Luther started reading the Bible. Martin Luther saw firsthand the remnants of Pelagianism in, in the church which was renounced a hundred years earlier, but it still corrupted the good hearts of people around him. And it told them that salvation was going to come by virtue of their allegiance to a religious organization, that strict obedience to rites and rules and ordinances would give them salvation, by paying demanded financial obligations to the church would save them and their dead. Does that sound familiar? And so he tacked his 96 thesis on the door at Wittenberg and he said, I don't agree with all this watering down of grace. And the Reformation was born, the Protestant Reformation, protesting against the stance the Catholics had at that time. So we don't get a bunch of emails. I'm not standing against the Catholics. I'm sure there are just as many Catholics who are saved and born again as there are uh, Mormons or Christians or whatever else. It's an individual thing. It's not about the religion. The religions can hurt you, but, but uh, they, they, they can't stop you. Several hundred years later, new religious leaders started popping up after Luther reformed the church. And uh, they didn't buy into the undiluted message of salvation by grace. And they, uh, most popular of those were the Shakers and the Jehovah's Witnesses and the Seventh-day Adventists and the Christian Scientists and this movement known as Mormonism. They all said, nope, we can't accept grace for what the Bible says it is. There has to be more. And essentially they were saying the Pharisees were right. Pelagian was right. The Judaizers were right. Uh, Catholicism in its early uh, implementation of power was right. And uh, they all presented a diluted form of the pure gospel of Jesus Christ. Why? Whether their intentions were good or bad, uh, they all decided that the grace wasn't enough 
and that they had to add something to it. And I've used this example before, but it's just like you're at the cross of Christ. He's up there suffering and you say, hey, I've got to climb up there and add some suffering to it. And then once the suffering's done, Jesus, because you don't understand everything about me and you say it is finished, I need to go and I need to build some things too. And I need to start doing this too. And all this other, adding around all these fixtures around the cross. That's called diluted grace. Diluted, not diluted grace. So they decided to improve upon and reinterpret the scriptures and they provided it to the rest of the world. And the Age of Enlightenment, the modern day Pelagianists championed human ability as a means to overcome the world and, 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 and obtain salvation. God became just a moral lawgiver to the humanists then. Now we're, getting, now we're approaching the 19th and 20th centuries. And man possessed the ability to overcome everything in this view. Spires replaced crosses, science replaced faith, and man once again decided he could provide the solution to existential angst and to alienation and to the sinful things that we do in secret. With a focus on human achievement, reason, social perfectionism, and the ethics over regeneration, Jesus once again was forced into the back seat and philosophy and religion took over. Immanuel Kant, a philosopher who most embodied these beliefs, openly embraced Pelagianism and recognized Jesus as nothing more than a good example of moral duty. An elder brother, so to speak. A perfect example, so to speak. Autonomy or rule of the self seeped into every discipline, including theology, and the blue ribbon of spirituality began to be awarded to those who achieved worldly success it began to be awarded to those who were intellectually advanced and awarded to those who had the power to overcome personal weakness. The supernatural was soon replaced by the superman, the ubermensch, as Nietzsche called him. And Nietzsche, he was, he was a very disturbed philosopher, but Nietzsche, you know what he said? He said, when Christian morality is severed from Christian theology, neither will remain. When you have groups that think that Christian morality is all you need and it's separate from Christian theology of grace, Nietzsche, a humanist, said neither will exist. And he's right. Look at the condition of our church today. Look at what happens now. Being Christian does not mean being moral. Being Christian first means recognizing your sinful nature and turning to the undiluted grace given to you by faith upon the finished work of Jesus Christ. We don't clean up in order to come to Jesus. We find ourselves filthy and cry to Him to save us. We see salvation as an impossibility when we have anything to do with it. Now what does the LDS Church maintain? In conclusion, let me tell you. In the Bible dictionary at the back of the LDS Bible, it reads that grace is God's quote, enabling power to lay hold on eternal life and exaltation after we have expended our best efforts. That's what they call grace. This is grace diluted in an ocean full of man's works. It makes me want to wretch. Spencer W. Kimball said in the Book of Mormon Student Manual, page 36, listen to this. That, quote, one of the most fallacious doctrines originated by Satan and propounded by man is that man is saved alone by the grace of God. That belief in Jesus Christ alone is all that is needed for salvation. End quote. 
This is from a man who is held up as one of the held up as a prophet. He's revered, he's loved, and he says that salvation by Jesus Christ alone is a mockery and it's of Satan. That's what he said. This is not me making stuff up. This man held in the highest esteem, he was just like Pelagius. He was just like the Pharisees and the Judaizers and Nietzsche and Kant. That's exactly the realm he fell in, humanism. And this is why Christians fight so much against the LDS doctrine of soteriology, which is salvation. Why Christians say, you don't worship the same Jesus. If you're LDS and you say, I know I'm saved by grace alone, you may know that and believe it, but your church does not teach it. And I'm being very emphatic here because those things are very disturbing to read and people believe them. Now let me finish with what the Bible says and we'll go to the phones. Romans 3.28, I'm going to give you eight quick scriptures. Therefore we conclude that man is justified by faith without the deeds of the law. Ephesians 2.8, for by grace are ye saved through faith and that not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not of works lest any man should boast. Titus 3.5, not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us. Romans 5.1, therefore being justified by faith, we have peace with God. Justified by faith. John 3.15, whosoever believes, whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. That's it. And Romans 3.20, therefore, by the deeds of the law shall no flesh be justified in his sight. Finally, Galatians 2.16, knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by the faith of Jesus Christ. Even we have believed in Christ that we might be justified by the faith of Christ and not by the works of the law. For by the works of the law shall no flesh be justified. Grace cannot be grace if it's mixed with anything else. This is not grace. This is religion or it's something else, but it is not grace. Grace is that pure form that I showed you at the beginning, a final scripture. And if by grace, then it is no more of works. Otherwise, grace is no more grace. But if it be of works, then it is no more grace. Otherwise, work is no more work. Let's go to the phones. Uh, we have Nate, first-time caller from Salt Lake City on line three. Nate, you're on Heart of the Matter. Sean, glad to be here. Good to have you. Hey, I happened on your show a couple months ago. I've watched it ever since, and I've really appreciated what you're doing. Um, I, too, was born under the proverbial covenant, grew up in an LDS home, orthodox as they come. Ended up serving a mission in Hawaii, and there actually served twice with, I think, the, the greatest elder ever to serve in Hawaii, and no, I'm not talking about George Q. Cannon. <laughs> I'm talking about somebody you and I both know. Yeah. Uh, actually ended up meeting you at his wedding. Wow. Since then, for a lot of the reasons you've talked about on your show, I have renounced the LDS faith. Wow. And since Praise then, God. have actually come to question, as I thought necessary, the claims of Christianity also. That's normal. For people who leave Mormonism, very normal. 
Well, it just seems to me that it's as much of a stretch, you know, to believe in the biblical Jesus as it is to believe in a Joseph Smith or a Moroni or a Buddha or a Muhammad or a Ganesha, for that matter. Yeah. And I don't understand, and it's funny watching you, because it's almost deja vu to see this level of devotion and level of conviction yeah. to your beliefs, as I saw in this elder and his beliefs, and I just, I don't see how you can necessarily arrive at that. Well, let me just say a couple things. It's a huge, it's a huge discussion. By the way, for the audience, you're talking about my brother, right? I am, but I didn't know if that was appropriate. That's fine. He served a mission with my brother who served in Hawaii. And just to let you know, um, there are counterfeits to everything. Man has to worship something, right? He's going to. We're, we're built to worship. And I can tell you, if you renounce everything, you're still going to turn to worshiping something. I don't know what it will be. It could be nature. It could be your own body. It could be drugs. It could be women. I don't know. But you will begin to worship something because it's built in us to worship. And so because of that, we have all kinds of counterfeits too. And so devotion doesn't mean that because there's devotion in every camp, that every camp is wrong. It just means that you have to find out what one is going to lead you to being a different person and give you rebirth or give you what you need. Now, if you want to embrace uh, the Buddha and say that he's changed you, be my guest. But I just don't think that the Buddha gives you the promises. I don't think B Buddha can be historically proven where I believe Jesus can. And I think making comparisons to uh, Joseph Smith's claims of the Book of Mormon and Jesus' claims is very, very weak. Are you there? Yeah, still here, just listening. Oh, so that's my take, but I would love to have a discussion with you and, uh, and, and get you, you know, it's very normal because... Mormonism presents such a totalist method for people. It gives you your culture. It gives you everything. And you buy in so well to it that when you pull away, man, everything looks like it's a joke. I have people, we heard one last week who called and said, hey, man, I am so burnt out on religion. I don't want to touch another one. Well, I don't want you to touch religion, but give Jesus a chance. I don't, I don't think in your experience you probably ever have given him a genuine chance recognizing yourself as a sinner. And that's the, uh, the key thing. Well, possibly, and like you say, you do. You just feel so completely duped after you come to that realization that, yeah, I'm, I'm hesitant. You're not alone, man. I'm telling you. It happens to so many who walk away from Mormonism. And, but I'll tell you this. Listen, I, don't even listen to my what you might perceive as dogma. Just do this. Go to God, whatever God is out there that you think is out there, and say, I need truth. I will, I will follow truth, show me truth. You might take a long path to get there, but if you're always open to knowing truth, he will ultimately lead you to the absolute. I promise you that. Well, I'll give it some thought. All right, brother, thanks for calling. Thanks, Sean. All right, see you later. Bye. Bye-bye. All right, we're going to, uh, we're not going to anything yet. They're, they're working on something. So let me go to uh, a comment, if I can find, oh, it's right here. Uh, a question from, uh, actually a comment from A.B. who wrote, Wearing your black jacket and your black shirt is appropriate. Such a shame for someone who had the potential to be everything. Um, I, sometimes we get comments on the black and black, and uh, there's a few reasons for that. Uh, I wear black in homage to the common man, not to the white starch shirt men out there who... Uh, who hold uh, many of the corporate positions and, and exercise influence on others. I just like the common man, and so I like black. Plus, I look thinner in black. And so I wear black on the show because less people call me the big fat pig. 
So that's the second reason. And then the third reason is because uh, I uh, wear it to show that I am absolutely opposed to the white-shirted priesthood that is uh, put out there as being true. Those are three reasons why. Okay, we're going to Kathy, Salt Lake City, line two. Kathy, you're on Heart of the Matter. Okay. You got to turn your TV off, Kathy. Hi, how are you doing? I'm doing well. How are you? I'm doing well. Um, I just had a, kind of a question, maybe a comment, and that is, do you believe that belief or faith is like a foundation or, you know, some people... Some people think, okay, you just have to have belief or faith. But whenever I think of those words, I'm having faith and exercising it. I mean, you won't get out of bed unless you think you're going to do something. Or, you know, when you use the word faith and belief freely, do you believe there's anything on top of that? Do you think you grow into a knowledge? I mean, do you think we're just here, you know, when you just say, well, all we need is faith? Uh, it's a good question because we use those terms interchangeably and I remember being very confused by the word faith. In fact, I hated it because I really didn't understand what it was. Well, so one of the reasons I say that is, is you think of the word love or anything else and people can say they have it or people can say, but like a spouse or a child, you know, you can't know it unless you see that they like serve you or do something for you or, right. you know, and, and you know, you, you kind of get the sense of, okay, because they're doing certain things, you can, I've always been taught that there's belief and then there's behavior. You know, if you have a certain belief, you can be stuck into something horrible, whether it's not religion or not. You, you, you live a certain way when you have a belief, and yeah. then you behave. Right. And however you behave is how you become. And I always thought, you know, God wanted you to grow or progress in this life or, you know, become like the Savior, or, you know, he said be perfect, and I know, God, none of us can be perfect in this life, but I'm just trying to understand when you say grace or belief, do you think you don't have to behave a certain way Kathy? Um, once you have that belief and once you have Christ in your life, or, Kathy? or what are you saying? Okay, let me read a scripture to you that I think will summarize that, all right? And it's a very good scripture for you to understand or for LDS to understand. 1 Corinthians 15.10, all right? Here we go. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And His grace, which was bestowed upon me, was not in vain. But I labored more abundantly than they all. Oh, well, yeah. I, I totally, I totally but know wait, I'm, I'm not Wait, Kathy, I'm not done. Yet not I, but the grace of God which is in me. See, this is the point. I talk about grace and I talk about faith and believing. All those will be manifested through behavior if they are legitimate. But behavior does not manifest faith. Oh, no, no, no. Yeah. But the, but the thing is, is I really, I mean, I don't think that Christ changed from when he created to the world to when he lived here. And I believe that there will be judgment, and I do believe that, because in the New Testament, I think it's in Matthew uh, 23, the last verse, it says, you know, none will come to me except for he accept my servants. And I know they stoned the prophets before, and I, I just, I'm just worried and, and sad that some people really, really believe that they're, they're, 
religions, whatever religion it is, that, that there's wickedness, I really believe everybody's trying to do good. And I really do believe that if you do not show your love or show your faith or, you know, because yeah. I don't believe there's any power in the cross. When people say the spy, I mean, the cross is the way he died. That would be like hanging a sword or a knife or wearing around no, an no. axe or something. No, you, you're, you, you don't. Un- God himself. Kathy? And he could have hung on that cross for Kath- and still be there now. People didn't just kill him. There is power in the life. there's power in the cross. There's power in faith, and I, I I understand we're kind of going a long way around this, but because and we don't have time because it's a fast show. But I think that you're speaking in a language that there shouldn't be worry. There shouldn't be you. You use the word I worry. I, I do worry for people that really do believe that they. Uh, like that they what? Has, you got to say it straight. Here and, and we don't have to do anything. Hey, listen, I have never met a single Christian who thinks that they disbelieve and lay in their bed and don't do anything. I have yet to meet a Christian who doesn't believe and do. I've yet to meet one. Because God wouldn't even have made a world or like... No, but wait, Kathy, don't go to because. Christ. Kathy. Everything was up to Christ. Kathy. And we could just not even be here. Kathy. Don't go to because. I just told you. I don't believe there are such people. I'm surrounded by volunteers right now who come in who are Christian. They take their time away from their family, drive in the snow. To, I don't find Christians who don't believe in serving. So I think your point is, is misguided. Very good, because I do think service is when he says, He that will be servant among you, let him be chief. Amen. Wash the, I mean, it is service okay. is what it is all about. So it is not just grace. We do need... Salvation is just grace, dear. Your works will follow that salvation, and you'll be rewarded according to those works. Okay, we got to hit it, Kathy. Thank you for calling. We're going to Ty from Bountiful on line four. First time caller, Ty. You got to turn your TV off, Ty. You're on Heart of the Matter. Ty, you got to turn your TV off. Yeah, I got a question for you. Um, We're all free to choose our religion. We want to practice or come across and teach. Your I've, how do you say this without? You can say it any way you want. Can you go and teach your message without criticizing other religions as well, like the Mormon, LDS faith? Can you do one show without mentioning or belittling any other, any other religion and just teach what you have to teach? One show? you got to turn your TV off, Ty. Ty? What's that? Turn your TV off. It is off. I'm in the other room now. Okay, listen. This is a show that compares Mormonism to biblical Christianity. But I, your whole show that's is what, it's, that, that's what to the show, belittle the Mormons. That's what the show's about, Ty. No, that's what your purpose is about. That's what the show is about, too. That's what it's about. The show is. It's your show, so it's your purpose. No, Ty, the show is not for me to get up and be a pastor uh, sharing the Bible message. I can do that in a church. I can do that uh, in sermons. That's not what this show is about. This show is to inform people that Mormons call themselves Christian and how the Bible shows that they are not. That's what the show is about. No, you're. What do you mean, no? Intent is to belittle the Mormons. Well, it's not to belittle the Mormons. First of all, I love Mormons, but it is to show that they are uh, putting out a deceptive message. Sorry, but Ty. And isn't so, that why we're here? What? We all have our freedom of choice to choose. And you have your freedom of choice to, to choose and to not and watch the show? And you have your freedom of choice to choose. And, and I'm doing and, it. 
and come across. All I'm, I'm doing it. Is, can you do a show? Why would I do that? My freedom of choice is to hold the show. The I, way I, I know. I know you won't do it. Right. So then, what's your point? I just want. I just wanted to challenge you to see if you. Would. There's no challenge to it. You can go to any sermon I give on a I, Sunday, there's and there's no challenge because you know it. You couldn't. You wouldn't. Your show wouldn't go on. Well, you're I right. I guarantee but, your show would be one of the worst rating shows. Okay. Uh, uh, so if it's you a good. Even tried. So it's a good rated show. That means people no, are I watching. Don't, I don't know what your ratings are. If they're good. They're if good. You were to Ty. do a show. Listen, Ty. Ty. You're missing the point. Mormons and and just teach whatever you're proclaim to teach i guess okay whatever you want to say all i know is that people are listening lives are changing they're learning the differences between the two and we're being effective how about you ty what are you doing and you're free to choose that i am free to do it i wanted to call to see if you could do it i I don't think you can but well that's fine you can okay very good all right we're done with that argument all right all right who's next karen first time caller salt lake city line three karen you're on heart of the matter okay thanks you're welcome yeah turn the tv off yeah, I'm, I'm in the other room. Okay. we got to remind the callers to turn those TVs off before they come on. All right, go ahead, Karen. All right, Sean? Yes. Hey, can you hear me okay? I can. Okay, first, I'm going to go real quick here. Um, I just wanted, um, when Nate called, it just really struck me, um, and I just wanted to share that it, it is very normal after you realize that you've been duped or felt like you've been lied to. Um, and... Um, I needed some downtime okay. away from anything. I went to the Lighthouse Ministries, you know, and, uh-huh. and they were helpful, but they wanted to get me over to the Christian, you know, religion, yeah. and it was too confusing okay. for me to wrap my head around, you know? Yeah. And so I did a lot of reading and research, went to different churches, and I prayed for truth Awesome. about it, because I, I didn't want to go to hell. Yeah. And I wanted to do the right thing, and I was taught that if I didn't do the Mormon thing, I wasn't going to be with my family, and, you know, that would be a horrible thing. And anyway, I asked to be excommunicated about, I don't know, probably eight or nine years ago, and it was very difficult to grasp the idea of grace that the Bible taught. Right. Especially when I was, all my life, having to jump through hoops to get to heaven. Right. You got to do this and do that and do that and this, and I could never... Um, reach the expectation of of what the church wanted of me because I was fallible and human and was screwing up all the time. Right. And I just couldn't, there was no way I was going to make it. So anyway, I finally did meet Jesus, and he came into my heart. And, I mean, I had one of the burning bush experiences, you know? Awesome. Yeah, and um, and what happened was is he gave me the energy and the four not forethought, but the energy in order to want to, to do and to give and to serve others. Awesome. You know, he puts it in your heart, and they were talking about works versus grace, and I'm, well, once you get the grace, he puts you on the road. Amen. And there's no work to it. Amen. You know, it just it just happens. My, one of my biggest difficulties that I've had to overcome, and I've been in Salt Lake now going on three years, and I was really mad that God brought me here because I had such resentment against the church. Um, but it's getting better. Um, it's getting over the anger and forgiving yeah. the doctrine and my family for being duped. You know, it, that's been very difficult. That will come. Separate the people from the doctrine. Karen, that is a beautiful testimony and a great call. Praise God for that. Thank you for taking the time to give it. 
Okay. Thank you, Sean, for what you're doing. I love you, and just keep going at it. We you need t- you. You too, sister. Okay. Take, take care. Bye bye. Listen, I, I have to say that it's just you know she's been saved. You could hear that she had the angst and the heaviness. She said she separated for a time from everything, but she continued to desire God to show her, and he showed her, and he came into her heart, as she said, and changed her. And, and then she also made some good points. You don't suddenly become perfect overnight. She's still battling with things, and we all do. But when you experience that rebirth, I'm telling you, man, we just had a caller share that with you, and I challenge you. New Year's coming up. Not that it should be a New Year thing, but come on, man. Take it to the Lord and say, just show me truth. I turn my life and will over to you, Lord. Okay, we're going to Sharice in Layton on line one. Sharice, you're on Heart of the Matter. Hey, Sean. Hi. I just wanted to uh, quickly mention something about um, Cain and Abel. Okay. How God had set up, you know, with his blood covenant all the way back in Genesis, uh, our requirement as man with sinful nature, the need for an innocent uh, substitutionary sacrifice. Okay. Um, and then, you know, how Abel brought before God an offering, of, a blood offering yeah. of his best lambs from his, flo- from his flock. Right. And because it was an innocent blood sacrifice, God had set up that covenant with man that, that only through the shedding of blood we could be put in right standing with God. Amen. And then contrary to uh, Abel, Cain rejected God's way, and he, um, instead of bringing innocent sacrifice, he brought the fruit of his own labor. Hey. You know? Yeah, good good one. Good way to bring that up. And what did that fruit of his own labor represent? His works. That's right. And that he couldn't be, you know, he wasn't, and God rejected that. That's right. Because he was trying to do it himself instead of through the sacrifice, innocent sacrifice that substituted for his sins. Right. Which points to Christ. In our substitutionary sacrifice. Sharice. In right standing with God today. Awesome. Awesome uh, message. I hope all LDS listeners. You know, it was established all the way back with uh, Adam's sons. That's right. That's right. Wonderful message. Way to bring that up and add some real seasoning to this this show. Thank you so much, Sharice. Great point. Yeah, God bless. God bless you. Bye-bye. Thank you. We're going to Melvin on line two, first-time caller. Melvin, you're on Heart of the Matter. Hi, Sean. Hi, Melvin. Hi there. Okay, first of all, I have a quick comment and then a question for okay. you. Uh, I am LDS uh-huh. and uh, have been all my life, actually. And first of all, uh, right off the bat, I want to let you know that I 100% believe that we are saved by grace. It is the grace of God that enables us to, uh, to inherit the kingdom of heaven. Um, what I mean by that is the Bible says we're filthy rags, basically. Right. It, it does say that in the Bible. Right. And it is the grace of God that he freely gives to us that enables to be made, made clean again through the atonement of Christ. Okay. Okay, so we, I think we're agreeing with that so far. Here's the problem that I have uh, okay. when I hear people talk about Mormons don't believe that we're saved by grace. Okay. Um, the Bible makes it clear to anyone uh, who reads it with a uh, spirit of uh, understanding, that we are judged according to our works. And the grace is what enables us to, uh, well, basically, without the grace of God, we, we, we won't be saved. We, won't, uh, we can't inherit the kingdom of heaven. Okay. But also, we are judged according to our works. Okay. Um, Can I answer that? Yes, sir. Go ahead. 
Okay, being judged according to our works comes from Revelation chapter 20. And what that is, is that is not us. Okay, we know that there will be a taking up of the church before, and that church is not judged at all at that, at, on the great white throne. That's where people are judged according to their works. That's when Satan and his angels come before too. Everybody there is, that's the great white throne judgment, and it's very different than the judgment that takes place in, in 1 Corinthians where people are judged on the Bema seat. Now, the Bema seat is where believers are judged according to their works. It's not based on salvation. They've already been saved. They're there being judged. And what the imagery that Paul used was, was like the Olympics, where you rewarded crowns for the job you did. So yes, the judgment will be for works, but that's based for rewards, not for salvation. And there's a big difference, and anybody who knows their Bible would be able to see that. Okay, very quick, very quick. I know you got to go, but here's okay. a very quick scripture okay. for you. Okay. In James... Yep. Chapter 2, verse 24. Okay. It says, See then how that by works a man is justified, and oh. not by faith alone. Okay. Now, and then one more quick thing. But wait, no, uh, wait, okay. no, wait. You, you, you said that. Now, we have to put that into context. You're justified by what? You're justified before men by your works. God looks at your heart. For your salvation. He does not look at your works. He doesn't look, need to look someone who knows beginning to end and see if you do something and reward you. You're justified by your faith according to how men see you, not how God sees you. Now read that in context, but go ahead, your next point. Okay. My no? Point. Check it out, Melvin. I'm, I'm trying to think. I had it, and I had looked at that scripture, and then I lost it again. Give me one second here, and I'm going to find it. We got, we, find it. I have it right hey, here. Uh, you know what? You, I'm sorry. Listen, I really appreciate you watching. Keep bringing There's good comments, and it opens up the door to good conversation. But i got to go to the next call. Okay, Sean, thanks. God bless you. Bye-bye. We're going to Blaine, first-time caller, Boise, Idaho. Blaine, you're on Heart of the Matter. Hey, how you doing? Doing well. How are you? I'm doing great. I guess I'm a first-time caller. I guess I'm watching a different show. You are. Because <laughs> we're a little bit behind. Yeah. Uh, of course, Idaho's behind. My question is, real quickly, um, just wanted to state... Um, just a quick question or give an answer out. Um, I don't know if you have done on a past show or not, uh, specifically about DNA versus Mormonism. Is that correct? You know, we haven't done a show on it, but I've recommended that uh, that DVD to people. Right. I'm actually, I used to be LDS. I was uh, born and raised uh, through there, and I broke away, and I, you know, I got saved, became a Christian about five years ago, and I've really just been intrigued the fact that a lot of people, just handing out this CD has been so powerful yeah. to hand out to people through scientific uh, data that shows uh, that the Lamanites and Nephites do not have Hebrew descent. Right. Knowing that the American Indians and the South American Indians uh, all are of Mongolian descent. So yeah. that's pretty powerful. I mean, even the fact that knowing that, uh, you know, this, the, the DNA specifically states um, really you know, who's Hebrew and who's not. I just wanted to get your take on that, and if you have any more information on that, because I've been handing out CDs to people. You know, Idaho is really prevalent. In fact, there's more LDS people that live in the state of Idaho than there are in the state of Utah. Utah I don't know right. if you knew that or not, but we've just been out witnessing the people and just letting them know, handing them out CDs. But I just wanted to get your take on that and give me your thoughts. Hey, Blaine, it's a great comment. I'm glad you brought it up on the show. It'll come out, of course, in uh, Idaho later, and you'll be able to hear yourself. But 
You know, regarding the DNA in the Book of Mormon, uh, that DVD, one, is Living Hope Ministries, very good DVD. But two, what's interesting is if you go back and you look at what the LDS Church used to teach about the Lamanites and how they, I mean, they used to show us pictures of the American Indians and they used to talk all about it. And then as this DNA thing's become more difficult, they pull away from that and they start exactly. coming up with more theories. And it's just, a, it's just terrible. Right. Well, I mean, I mean, obviously, DNA is proving so many things, and really, ultimately, the Lord has given us insight to give us an understanding of DNA to literally prove, really, who He is, you know, who, who our Heavenly Father yeah. is, just by disproving the fact that, you know, the, Mor the, the Mormons are absolutely cr incorrect, right. letting them know that they're wrong, because, you know, obviously, if we know that Joseph Smith says the Lamanites and Nephites were um, on the American continent and receiving the gospel of Jesus Christ on the American continent, knowing that they're of Hebrew descent, and then when DNA disproves that, that completely obliterates Mormonism and it stops it right in its track. It really does. Praise God. Blame. We've got to go to the next call. Thanks for calling. Appreciate it. Thank you. God bless. Bye-bye. All right. Travis, last caller, uh, line three, first-time caller, Travis from Tooele. you got to hurry, brother. you got one minute. All right. Hi, John. I just wanted to respond to some of uh, the LDS callers who keep calling in and telling you that your show's all about ripping on them. And right. You've got a negative aspect. Um, I just really think they're missing the whole point of the message that you're trying to proclaim, and especially around Christmas. I think they're missing the point of what Christ did and what's offered to them. When and I have to I have to say this because it was Pastor Bill Young at The Rock. Oh. We said this one of the sermon. Uh-huh. That if you want to know how much he loves you, you can see him on the cross with his arms spread. That's with nails in his hands. Yeah. And uh, paying for our sins and taking the wages for uh, for us, you yeah. know. That's a great that's a great point. And uh, you know, you're right, at this time of the year, all times of the year, you know, it's just it, it, we are seen through the blood of Jesus. When you stand before God, that blood either covers you or it doesn't. And it's just, I mean, it's just so black and white. It's the blood or it's not. And uh, I praise God for bringing that up. Yeah, I just uh, wanted to thank you for, for you know, telling the truth. And, and you, you do it because that you care and not, not that you're trying to hate anyone. Thanks so much. And I do. And I appreciate you bringing that forward. Love you. And have a good Christmas. Love you too. God bless. Bye-bye. I want you to know that a miraculous thing's happened on the show. Three times I reached to drink this. Three times you almost saw me really make a fool of myself, but no, I stuck with the real thing on this side. Listen, we're greatly blessed. Next week, we're having our final show of the year. It'll be a wrap-up, a summary. And uh, if you have comments or questions about things you've learned about the show over this whole time, or what you like or don't like from a Christian or LDS perspective, we invite you to call in and talk to us. It'll be a fun show on the 26th of December. So God bless you. We, uh, God keep you. And we'll see you next week on Heart of the Matter. I'm on a ride Going nowhere I am an existential cowboy On the wind And I won't be coming out I'm going in This man's awake the storm's arising, the dawn's awaiting till 